Hey everyone, welcome. Uh, my name is Ben, glad you're here. Welcome to Behind the Scenes Christmas. We get to do this at lots of different campuses. We get to do it with our friends online. We're just glad everyone's here. I really, really am glad. Hey, next weekend is a really important time for us. We're going to celebrate all of the results from our unstoppable good uh, commitments that have been rolling in and share some of those fun stories. It's also when we will do what we call our first big give, where we're going to just, uh, if you haven't already started giving to unstoppable good, uh, that's when we do it next week. I know some of us have stretched to new levels, and that's when we begin it all next week here, uh, whether you're bringing you know, some stored resources or whatever God's calling you to, to, to do there. And if you're someone who hasn't had a chance to commit, it's not too late. Someone has asked. Can I still get in on this? Of course you can. Unstoppable good cards are available. You can see the, the place you can find it right there on the screen, I think. Uh, unstoppablegood.church is a QR code. That's where you go find that card, and um, that'll be a way that you can be a part of that. So it's hard to believe that uh, it's Christmas time already that we're leaning in toward Christmas. It seems like it just comes so early every year. But one of the things that means for us is that we're leaning into the Advent season, which is kind of a Christian way of preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And we've got a way that could maybe help all of us kind of prepare our hearts this year. And it's an Advent devotional. It's called the Advent Experience. And you can sign up for it and we'll just text it to you. It'll show up at your phone every day in the morning. And it begins Sunday, November 27. Like right now, we're there. And uh, it leads right up until Christmas. So just text the word Advent to the, uh, to the number uh, that you see on your screen there. And uh, that will get you all signed up for the Advent experience. A great way to start your day. And uh, uh, maybe you want to get that signed up for right now. You can pull out your phone and do it right now if you want to. So um, a few, several years ago, uh, everyone in our family, this is like I think 10 or 12 years ago, everyone in our family really liked the artist uh, Toby Mac. How many of you, you know, raise your hand if you know Toby Mac and you like him? Yep. Toby Mac, uh, he, he's, a, he's a Christian uh, artist, a musician, singer, rapper, that kind of guy. He was in concert with another rock band named Skillet. And uh, we thought, well, let's got to go see it. It was a, coming to Baltimore, the big arena. And we thought, well, this would be really, really great. And well, friends, I went to look for tickets. And not only did I get tickets, I scored some backstage passes I got the VIP tickets that were going to get us right backstage and, and uh, we got to go behind the scenes and we got to see what other people could not see. When everyone else is watching, they're watching from out in the audience, right? And they're looking up on the stage and they see that band playing, right? That's what the vantage point that most people see. But uh, what we got to see was... Well, we realize there's a whole lot more going on than you realize. There was uh, people scurrying around and cords and equipment and machines. And there was a food room and a green room and a wardrobe person and all this stuff. And it was like a beehive of activity. And it was quite impressive, really. But the best part of getting behind the scenes, really, the best part was when we got to meet Toby Mac. That was really cool because he was just so down to earth. He was up close and personal. He talked with so many of our kids and their friends and, and uh, nicest guy in the world. We you know, said, hey, let's take a picture. And here we have, I think we even have a picture there back in the day when our kids were young. And uh, here's this guy, you know, bigger than life. And here he was right down there. We could be friends with him, it seemed like. And so let me ask you, do you think after that backstage experience, we were 
like less excited about Toby Mac or bigger fans of Toby Mac, right? Of course, we were bigger fans of Toby Mac because of that encounter. Seeing everything behind the stage was cool, but meeting him uh, really, really changed our perspective. Friends, we've maybe all had an experience like that. And I'm hoping that what we can do together over the next few weeks as we head up to Christmas is something very much like that with Christmas itself and with the Jesus behind it. You know, when we think about Christmas, this year we want to look at it from a whole new perspective. Because most of the time what we do is the vantage point we have is we look at Jesus and we see a baby in a manger with Mary and Joseph, maybe some shepherds, angels, and a few animals. And that's the typical vantage point. But we want to go behind the scenes. And when we do, the Bible will help us see that there's a whole lot more going on behind the scenes. And the best part, the best part will be if what we do together helps you meet Jesus personally in a deeper way. To really come face to face with him, if you will. And not to become just a bigger fan. Jesus really isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers and and people of faith who will put their life in his hands and know him like they never have before. That's our hope starting today. And I just pray you'll open your head and your spirit to whatever God might have for us through his word today and in the weeks that follow so that we could become better followers of Jesus, the one we're going to meet behind the scenes. So today we're going to dive in and do, this is going to be kind of some heavy lifting today. So, so buckle up, uh, cowboys and, and girls, here we go. Um, we're going to look at the gospel of John today, which is very, very interesting. If you know, um, there are gospels in the New Testament. These are the books that give a kind of eyewitness biography of Jesus' life, who he was, what he did, and why it matters. And they are listed in, these, in this order. Same with me if you know them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John is the fourth gospel, and he takes a very different take. When Matthew and Luke want to set about to tell the story of Jesus, they do so in the ways that we often go to at Christmas. They tell about, after a little bit of a run-up, they tell about Jesus being born and sitting there in Mary's lap with uh, all the scene that we're so familiar with. But what John does is he doesn't do that at all. In fact, in John, there's no Mary or Joseph. There's no shepherds or wise men. There's none of that. In fact, he takes us behind the scenes and he takes us up high and he takes us way back to the beginning. And we're going to look actually at a long section of scripture and we're going to do some heavy lifting today. Are you up for that? Can you do some heavy lifting? Okay, we're going to look at 18 verses of John chapter 1. This is called the prologue of John. And uh, it doesn't mean introduction. It means, it means this, really, everything John wants to say in all the chapters of John are contained in these verses. It's all packed in here. It's an explanation of who Jesus is. We're going to read through the whole thing together. So uh, let's uh, sit up and uh, be attentive to the Word of God wherever you are. If you're, if you're at home or one of our campuses, this is the Word of the Lord. Let's listen. Here it is. John 1, verse 1. Here we go. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. 
God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. So that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who's far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we, all, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. But the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. This is the word of the Lord. I want to dive in a little bit with you and try to unpack some things here. Let's put verses 1 and 2 back up there and take a look at it and see if some words might pop out to us. Here's what it says in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So we see these phrases, in the beginning, and Word jumping out to us. We'll go ahead and look at verses 3 and 4. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and, all, and that life was the light of all men. You see these words popping out? Light and life and things being made through him. What we're seeing here is something very, very important and powerful. Now let me back up, and this is where we got to put our big boy and girl pants on, and I want to try to give us some background here. The Christian movement was birthed out of Judaism, okay? Jesus himself was a Jew, and the early Christians were all Jewish of the Hebrew persuasion, if you will. But eventually, it spread to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, and eventually to the Romans, and they greatly outnumbered the Jews eventually. And this created the issue where John now, several years after the resurrection of Christ, wants to help freshly explain who Jesus really is. To these Greeks. But he can't use some of the Hebrew ways and some of the Jewish traditions of the Old Testament 
because they don't know any of that stuff. To a Hebrew, you could say, hey, remember the Messiah, this one that the prophets talked about, the, the one that God said is coming one day, the anointed king? Guess what? Jesus is the Messiah. And the Hebrews would all go, yeah. The Jewish people would go, I get it. But if you said that to a Greek, Jesus is the Messiah, they might say, what's a Messiah? Okay? And so John is searching for a way to explain who Jesus is to Gentiles and the significant place that he has to the Greeks, right? But he also wants to do it in a way that would make sense to the Jews because they're going to be listening and reading in here too. And God inspires John to come up with one of the most brilliant ideas ever to explain who Jesus is. Now, a little more background about the Greeks first and then the Jews, okay, in, that, in those days. Those Greeks, as you might expect, were really smart people. As a general race, they're incredible people, the Greeks. Mm, you probably knew that. But seriously, in those days, the Greeks were known as the philosophers and the real thinkers. And they came up with an idea that was called the logos. Logos, or in English we would say the word. Logos equals the word. There's that word. That, that's a Greek word, logos. We, we recognize that word, uh, biology or logos is, the, is where the word. And it just means the word. And they came up with this idea of the word. And, and the best way to describe it, now stay with me, is that the word or logos to the Greeks and their philosophy was kind of like the soul of the universe, if you will. It was like this pervading principle that unified and guided everything along. It was kind of, the word was the creative energy behind everything that propels life and all of our thoughts and ideas are sort of downloaded off of this deeper, bigger idea known as the word. The, the, the word of uh, was sometimes referred to as the word of God and they didn't mean a personal God like ours, but it meant like this unifying being responsible for all the majestic orderliness we see in the world. The way things are created and the seasons and the times and the animals and the way things function, they thought surely something that's brilliant and rational must be behind all of this. And they called that thing the word. It was a household word, the word was. It was everybody knew about it. Now, the average person wouldn't have been able to kind of explain all the philosophical nuances any more than most people on the street today couldn't explain, you know, the truth uh, about, you know, I don't know, uh, Nuclear fission. We've heard of it. We just know enough to know it's really, really important. And that's exactly what was going on here. Everyone would have recognized when, when he said the word that we're talking about this extremely important wisdom behind the world. This truth that unifies and empowers everything in the universe. And John seized on that idea that everyone knew about. And he says, you see all of your lives, Greeks, You've been fascinated with and searching for this elusive, powerful mind of God, this elusive order of all things. And he, and he says, I've got good news for you. It's not an impersonal force out there somewhere. The word is behind everything, all right. And he has now come among us and he's become in human form. And you can find him in Jesus of Nazareth and you can know the word and access it in your own life. That's the good news of, of Christmas from John's vantage point. Sophia Cavaletti is a researcher of the spirituality of young children, and, and she, she has discovered that kids very often, and we all kind of know this, 
they, they have a kind of perception and intuition about spiritual things and about spiritual reality that really surpasses that of adults on many occasions. She tells about how one four-year-old girl was raised in an atheistic family with no church, no Bible, nothing like that at all. And, and at one day at home, she asked her father, where did I come from? Where did the sun come from? Where did everything come from? Where did the flowers and the birds come from? And her atheist father responded in purely naturalistic, strictly scientific terms citing the theory that atoms accidentally collided and um, in a random way life began and accidentally evolved to, to where we are today. And then he added at the end of that lengthy explanation, and there are some people who say all of this comes from a very powerful being and they call that being God. And as soon as he said that, this little girl immediately starts dancing and jumping around the room and shouting for joy. I knew what you told me at first wasn't true. It's him. It's him. It's him. <laughs> and I love that story. I love it because I think every human being kind of relates to that little girl where there's something in our bones that we know is there. We want to, to we long for a connection with a creator God who's there. And the Greeks were groping and searching for a name for that thing. This philosophy they were trying to concoct was, was this logos idea. And, and we're still doing that today, trying to make sense of the world. People have sometimes put God aside. And they're still trying to make sense of reality and find peace. Or we call it, you know, um, you know uh, making sense of life. Whatever label you want to put on it, the message of Christmas behind the scenes from John is that all those things we're groping and searching for has a name and it's not the logos and it's not making sense of life. That thing we're looking for that we know is out there that can fix the bad and we can thank for the good. That thing that we confirms in our bones that, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. That, that thing that we're hungry for that makes us want to jump up and down and go, it's him, is Jesus. And that's the incredible good news that John introduces us to at Christmas. Anne Lamott said that her father was a devout atheist as well. She and her siblings had to agree to a kind of contract when they were like three years old. And uh, she rebelled and started backsliding into faith. <laughs> and she said that, you know, even when I was a child, I knew that when I said hello, someone heard me. That's what John is saying here. In the beginning was the Word. And that would be Jesus. This eternal force and strength behind everything is not impersonal. You can see him and touch him and know him. There's something real out there. You don't have to look for extraterrestrials. You don't have to wait for the aliens to show up or in a spaceship. Our, our, haunt, our hearts are all haunted by echoes of a voice that we know is there who is calling us to himself. And the good news of Christmas, you guys, is that his name is Jesus. The thing we all know must be there. It's him. It's Jesus. Now that's how, G that's how John connects to a Greek audience. Let me say a word about how he connects to his Jewish audience. Because look at how he starts things out. Go back to verse 1 and 2. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the, say it with me, the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Um, 
What are the words that John uses to start his version of the Christmas story? Well, it's the words, in the beginning. And those words were also household words among every Jewish family. They would have recognized that immediately, as some of you do, as the very first words in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the book of Genesis begins with those words, in the beginning, God created. And here we have, in fact, in your Bible, Genesis in the Hebrew Bible is literally called in the beginning because those are the first words of that book. Now, all through this passage that we read, you maybe noticed some echoes and hints of the familiar creation account when God created. You've got light and darkness and all of this stuff. And you get this picture that just as Genesis described the first creation of life, now, now God is doing a new creation. The first time it was done through God's word. He spoke. And now God is bringing spiritual life, a new creation, and this time it is again through his word, the living word, Jesus. What everyone knew about the creation story is that God created with the word. So the Jews would say, when I hear the word, I think of the word word, I think of God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be land, and there was land. God's word is active and living and powerful and strong and true, and it can create and make things where there's nothing. It can bring dead things to life, and it can do so much. And so you can see what John is doing here. He has circled in the Greeks now and says, yes, there's this that thing out there called the word, and we're made for him. And now with the Jews, he says, yes, by the word of the Lord, he made us. Two implications, uh, two big truths we want to talk about today. Two big truths. Number one, Jesus, John says, is the God of creation. Jesus is the God of creation. In the beginning was the Word. He's talking about what theologians call the preexistence of Jesus, the preexistence of Christ. He appeared as an infant named Jesus, all right, but his birth was not the beginning. Jesus, the word is eternal, he's saying. There never was a time when the word was not, when Jesus wasn't Jesus. John 8, 58 says, before Abraham was, I am. Even before Abraham, Jesus is identifying himself with the creator God. He's not some subordinate created being, a lesser God, a junior divine being. No, John is making it clear the word Jesus existed before creation. Then he builds on it. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. In the beginning was the word, and then he says the word was with God. In other words, there's a relationship between Jesus and God, this father figure and, and so you know that we've got God who, we're peeling back layers of reality and we find a God who's eternal, but he's also in relationship. We're learning all kinds of things about the nature of God. He's eternal, he's in relationship. And then John goes for the big kahuna. He goes even higher and bigger and stronger. And he says, this God who was in the beginning and was with God, this word was God. And you can say nothing more strongly than John has said here. That Jesus is not sort of divine, doesn't have a little bit of God in him. He says Jesus is God. Whatever God was, the Word was. It's a staggering claim. And he ties Jesus to the ultimate act of God himself, creation. Verses 3 and 4. Through him. All things were made. Without him, not one thing was made that's been made. In him was life. Everything owes its existence to the creation uh, uh, through Jesus. That's what Colossians chapter 1 is saying. That 
for him and by him and through him all things were created. This is Jesus. So he's the creator. Two implications if Jesus is really our creator. Number one, as the God of creation, Jesus, listen friends, Jesus gives us life. He gives us life. Life doesn't exist on its own. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't just pop up. It comes from God. And the life that he first breathed into us in creation is from God. Look at, it's from Jesus. Look at, look at Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Life comes from God. And that's when we humans became living beings. Physical, biological life comes from God. But John is adding that God adds another kind of life in another way. A life that's whole and full and salvation and real and eternal. Look at John 3.16, right? What do we say all the time? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. There's a different quality and kind and caliber of life than just the beating heart that we have. John 10.10, Jesus says, that's why I came. I came that you can have that kind of life. You are living a life. We're living day by day by day, but do you have life? Do you have the life that God can bring? It's called abundant. It's called full. It's called free. Think about your life and what kind of life you're living at this moment. Here's what happens to us, you guys. At the beginning of our lives, God breathes into us physical life and spiritual life. Some of us became Christians and we got spiritual life breathed into us. And then life sucks it out of us because we get beat down. It gets, we get hit hard. And that precious life breath, God's own presence and his breath within us seems like oh, we get the wind, literally the breath knocked out of us sometimes, don't we? By life and what happens. And I think some of you, I just know, some of us at different times, life is so hard. You need a breather. You need that second wind. You need that breath of life breathed into you again. You need the life of God again. Some of us know we're living, but we don't have much of a life in God, the abundant life. And, and think we're smart enough to know that just a little more Christmas spirit or a new really great gift isn't going to do it to bring us back where we want to be. Not enough bin shopping or more booze. Nothing's going to do it for us. We know that. I love that passage in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 37 which echoes the whole creation story about how God breathes life and it reminds us that God doesn't just create, but God can recreate. God can recreate. He, he looks out and he sees all these living beings that used to be alive now in a valley of dead, dry bones. It's a gross and graphic scene like something out of a zombie film. A bunch of dead bones just lying in a heap and... This valley of dry bones, Ezekiel asks a question. He says, can these bones ever live? It's like he remembers the people that used to animate those bones. And I think some of us might feel that way today, like there's some part of our life that's a valley of dry bones, like a marriage that's lifeless when it used to jump and dance and 
dreams that lie motionless like a pile of decayed bones. Maybe your innocence is lost or your confidence is gone. Your peace is just a skeleton of what it used to be, maybe. You're failing as a parent. You're flunking out at school. Your parents are freaked out or you've got yourself caught in something or a heartache that's gripping you or you don't know, you know how the holidays are going to go or your financial burdens or you're trying to figure out how to enter the dating game again and it's just overwhelming and you, do you have a relationship in the future? Whatever, all these struggles can be like knock the wind out of us, the very life presence of God and we wonder with Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I love I love what happens when God says to the prophet, Ezekiel 37, he says, so I want you to speak my word, my word to those bones. I'm going to recreate something now. And he says, say to these bones, dry bones, hear the what? Word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will breathe into you and you will come to life. The same creator, God, my friend, that breathed life into you the day you were born can breathe life back into you now in the areas where you are nothing but dead, dry bones. We need the life and the breath and the presence of God. If you're just living your life and going through motions, you are meant to have life. In him, Jesus, is life. That's where the life is. The pain and the ache and the problems can be brought to the word of God. And you can say today, right now, speak to me. Word of God, breathe on me, O breath of life, and live again. As 1 John 5 says, whoever has the Son has life, and I pray that you do. The other implication of this powerful truth is that the God of creation gives us not just life, but he gives us light. Let me help you think about that for a moment. The verses say that the word came and brought life to everything, but also brought, and that life brought light to everyone, and the darkness has not overcome it. We all know we live in a super scary, dark time. We know that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he has an enemy, and you do too, and it's the prince of darkness. There's plenty of darkness to go around. Darkness is associated with evil and injustice and all the blur of horrible stuff that we see happening in the news every day. We all know about that. It's all around us. Christmas is a message that says you're not alone in the darkness. You're not alone in the darkness. God sent his light to all people. So let me ask you a very important question. Where do you need the light of Jesus most in your life right now? Like where are there dark corners or dark places or where you're feeling the darkness, maybe of the enemy, of evil itself, or just a sort of dark fog where the light and the love and the purity and the grace and the truth and the power and the presence of Jesus can't seem to break through? Where is that? Dark places in our life exist sometimes when we feel like we're so ashamed, where we just feel riddled with shame, where we say, oh, I didn't do something wrong. It's like I am something wrong, like there's something wrong with me. I'm just flawed at my core. I'm a failure. I'm a mess. Our sin, Satan loves to just make us get trapped in that dark corner and stay there. 
Or maybe we're lying about something. Or we're believing the lies that the Prince of Darkness is telling us. Or maybe it's an area of secrecy where you're hiding a dark corner away from other people or from God. You know, we're only as sick as our secrets. Maybe there's a dark corner of your life where there's no, no light or a habit or a negative thought that just is dominating you. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world. And he wants to be the light in your life. And just as at the beginning of time, he said, God said, let there be light. And he brought light and beauty and growth and order out of that swirling, chaotic mess of nothingness. God so wants to do that in your life. And he promises that the way he does that is through his son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Invite the light of Jesus. Where do you need to call on the light of Jesus and let him cast out your sin and enter in with his light? So we've talked about how Jesus is the God of creation with the two implications that he's the God of life and light. And I just want to leave you with a touch on something that's so large, but we can't leave, without, we can't leave John without talking, talking about it briefly. And that is that God is, Jesus is not only the God of creation. Get this, John is saying Jesus is the God of incarnation. Wow, incarnation, what's that? It's not a flower. <laughs> it's it's not, a, not incarnation here. It's talking about the fact that even though at Christmas we dress up and put on our sweaters and adorn our house and deck the halls with all kinds of stuff, with bows of holly, that Christmas in the Bible perspective, when you go behind the scenes, is not about dressing up. It's about God getting undressed. It's about God appearing naked on the planet getting rid of, laying aside his honorific titles, his status with the Father, and he comes softly and simply from the throne of heaven, showing up in nothing but his birthday suit, a naked little infant. The only covering on him was the amniotic fluid that his astounded young mother Mary wiped off of him as she held him near in those swaddling clothes, holding in her arms God with human skin on. That's the incarnation. It's this amazing idea that it's not about more glitz and glamour like we like to make Christmas. It's God stripping off all of those things and showing up in diapers. Hark the herald angels sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead we can see. Hail the incarnate deity, God among us. That's the power. John 1.14 says in another translation, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. And now we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's one of the most profound verses in Scripture, capturing the most profound mystery of our faith, that God, fully God, Jesus, becomes fully human in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And I want you to notice what John has done here now. Remember where he started us. He, he lifted our eyes up first to see this majestic Christ, the cosmic, huge, pre-existent, eternal creator deity, Jesus, the eternal logos, the word, the looming large over all things, the, the greatness, the grandeur, the largeness. You've got you to appreciate that in the first few verses of John. 
He's saying that's what Christmas is, that this great, beautiful God, now if you see him in his grandeur and his glory and his preexistent cosmic you know, splendor, now you can grasp the unfathomable truth that he has come among us. And he's right here. God bent all the way down. All the way down and stuffed himself into human flesh. God with people skin on. The creator acting like a created one. This limitless, omniscient, omnipotent God obeying the limits of space and time for a time for us. Incarnation. Carn means flesh. That's why if you're you know, a carnivore, you eat You eat meat, and incarnation means God became flesh. Another version of 114, and John says, the word became human and made his home among us. Think about that. He made his home among us. He moved right into the neighborhood. He travels I-95 with us. He, He pitched his tent, one translation says. God pitched his tent right with ours. Why would God do that? Well, because he wants to be close. He wants to interact with us. If I pitch a tent in your backyard and say, hey, I knock on the door. Can I use your bathroom? Can we eat dinner together? Hey, do you have the NFL ticket? I want to watch the game with you. I pitch a tent in your backyard because I want to be with you, and that's why God has come. That's what God did. And by the way, that phrase, pitched his tent, every Jew would have recognized that. Oh, that sounds familiar. And they all would have thought back. To the Old Testament, when God was leading his people, when his glory and his presence was seen in what they called the tabernacle, this portable tent they would carry around and set up, and God revealed his grace and his truth and his glory in that tent of meeting, in that tabernacle. And now John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and pitched his tent. Among us, he tabernacled is what it means. And we have now seen the glory of God that Moses saw way back in the day that the people in the Old Testament could only see in the tabernacle. We now see in this one from the Father who's full of grace and truth. It's powerful. Christmas, when you go behind the scenes, is about God putting up a tent in your backyard and then you go up and you look and you pull the tent flat back and you see the face of Jesus Christ, who says this is the one who reveals God to us. This is God. And there's two huge implications for this. And the first is the reminder that the incarnation proves God loves us. And I hope that you know God loves you. My heart aches for my friend Ed, who was an intelligent man, but he was pretty sure if there was a God, he told a friend over drinks one day, if there's a God, I know he doesn't like me. His own dad abused him and left him, and his mom died when he was young. He always felt like he was a disappointment to his parents. And one time he went to church with a friend in middle school, and the preacher seemed to be yelling at him, and he was just, it just confirmed his idea that all these bad things have happened in my life because God has it out for me, and maybe it's because of the things I've done. He saw God as far away and cold and indifferent, and I think a lot of people struggle with that idea of God. But this idea of God coming near proves that God loves us. And friends, that's why God came. God, hear me now, God loves you. And if you were the only one on the planet, the God of the Bible would have come for you. You matter that much to God. 
Sometimes we feel like we don't matter. Who am I? What, what, what am I that, that you would care about me? But God says, I, I do. And he didn't just send his son to a planet. He sent Jesus in person, who is now knocking on the very door of your heart in a very personal and up-close way. You are the one that Jesus came for because love is what busted open the side door of heaven that caused Jesus to tumble out and come on purpose to you. The incarnation proves God loves us. And finally, it proves that God is with us. God is with us. It's the very name of Jesus. And one of the things we sing at Christmas is the word Emmanuel. It's the name of Jesus. God is with us. It's the number one promise in all of the Bible. God saying, I will be with you. He came down to identify with us, to come alongside us in our pain and to remain with us. And even when he left, he left his spirit so that we don't have to go to a tabernacle or another tent of meeting, but we ourselves now become the dwelling place of God through his spirit. We are his temple. We are his body. And Christ can take up residence in each of us. And so I don't know what you're going through right now, but sometimes we just like to pray a simple prayer. You know, God, be with me. God, be with me. And this is the beauty of Christmas. It's the reminder that one of the greatest gifts when you're lonely and scared when you're tired and alone, is that God is with us. Like Psalm 23 says, he's a shepherd who always is protecting, providing, and with you. But even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there I will not be afraid. Why? Because you are with me. And Jesus has come. So that horrible trial you've gone through, you look back and you say, God, you were with me in that divorce and in that death in that financial trial, in that struggle in my family. God, you were with me always and you always will be. And Jesus says, I will be with you always to the end of the age until you are together with him. And you say, how can I make that real, Ben? Jesus' brother James said it this way in chapter 4, verse 8. He said, come close to God and he will come close to you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Jesus will come close to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being this amazing God that is the thing that we're all longing for. Our, our logos are the missing piece of our life. And we thank you for the life and the light that you bring where you cast out our darkness. Give us life. Show us you love us and promise to always be with us. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.